Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Wow, those are amazing testimonies. Uh, we have been so blessed, uh, not just today, but uh, over the last weeks. I don't know if you are uh, taking note of all these incredible testimonies. And by the way, these testimonies are available uh, online if you go to our, our webpage, uh, Facebook page. I'm trying to tighten this down here. Uh, you, you can actually uh, follow up and see these testimonies if you want to see them again for encouragement. They're really, really encouraging uh, people's lives and, 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 and their stories. Uh, very, very encouraging. I want us to continue today to worship God, and I want to, I want to do that by us just bowing for a moment and asking God to help us. We're, we're talking today about the issue of joy being the, one of the keys of overcoming our fear, and we're hoping to give you some real practical handles of how to choose joy, uh, uh, not, not just telling you to choose joy, but how, and some practical steps today. So let, let's pray together as we keep going. Lord Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we praise you for... Um, the joy that we have in you, Father, Lord, that you are truly the Prince of Peace. Uh, Lord, it, as Megan said, it's who you are. And so, Father, as we walk beside you, Father, we walk in peace. And so, Lord, thank you for that, Father. Thank you that that is not just some, some wish or some uh, fairy tale. It's true. Uh, Lord, you really are the living God, uh, the Prince of Peace. So we praise you for that today. Lord, help us today as we keep worshiping you through your word, uh, God, that uh, you would teach us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. When I was a kid, and I don't know if your childhood was similar to mine, but for whatever reason, whatever elementary school I went to, secondary school, uh, our teachers felt like it was their job uh, every October 31st to create some kind of frightening experience for us around Halloween. You know, Halloween, October 31st. Um, my, my teachers, uh, for, this is before, you know, they would have gotten in trouble in the world for this, but they would create haunted houses. Uh, did, did your schools do that, or did you have friends whose job was, maybe it became the school's council's job, was to create these haunted houses? I, I have a memory of when I was a kid, uh, my el- elementary school, this is when I was in grade 7, grade 8, that our teachers did one of the most amazing haunted houses in the history of haunted houses. They took our school library and converted it into this maze of, of craziness, uh, of, of halls that had you know, no exit, and uh, they had stuff hanging from the ceiling. You, you've probably been through these before. You know what they look like. Uh, they would try to simulate cobwebs, you know, and uh, obviously darkness was a big part of this whole deal, or, or distractive, uh, you know, different color lights to scare you. And then our teachers, would put on the, the craziest outfits and hide in, in corners of this library and jump out at us and try to scare us. Uh, there was a hall of, of hands that would, would just touch you everywhere as you came through. It was creepy, just made for you to feel super, super creepy. Uh, one of my favorites was they would try to simulate the guts of a human being, you know, by putting it, you know, stuff in a bowl that you had to put your hands into and, and touch. It's usually just, you know, vegetables and water, uh, at least that's what we told ourselves is what it was when we came through. We couldn't see it. You know, you put your hands in there. And, and the goal, of course, uh, for a young man like myself was to get through it without even feeling an ounce of fear. That, that was the goal, right? So they're trying to create fear. Our goal is to get through without, being, without even being shocked, without jumping, 
I mean, you had to be cool when you went through the haunted house. That was the goal, especially if you had a girlfriend, all right, who was with you walking through this. So we all have different strategies on how we dealt with uh, the haunted houses. I don't know how you dealt with them, but um, one of my friends entered into legacy status, you know, superhero status, when she decided to attack the haunted house in a way we never thought possible. She went, she went into the haunted house after me. I'll never forget this. And just started laughing. She, she, she laughed from the moment she entered until the moment she left. Now, this was nervous laughter. This wasn't like comfortable laughter. <laughs> and it was, she was laughing so loud uh, that the school came around outside the, the library to, to hear her go through. It was, it, was, it was incredible. She laughed so loud and so long that it even irritated the teachers who had actually put this event together. So you're ruining the atmosphere here. You're destroying the vibe. She laughed her way all the way through her fear, came out the other side, and then broke down in a pool of tears. Uh, so, and and for, for about 10 minutes, she cried and laughed outside the library. <laughs> but she was still our hero. Overcoming fear truly is uh, a choice. I mean, it's a choice we make where we choose joy over the moment. And, and of course, my friend uh, did it in a way we had never thought possible before. Look, um, I believe uh, for us, really the issue this morning uh, for all of us is that uh, we can actually choose joy. But, but most of us um, are often, we live in a, in a world, our own creation, where we feel like uh, that there is no choice in the matter, that we are just simply victims uh, of this horrible event and we can never be happy no matter how, how, how hard we try, how, how much we seek it, that we're stuck in this gripping fear. But that's actually not true we have a choice no matter what the circumstances. No matter the uh, uh, apocalyptic event, uh, no matter what chronic pain I have, no matter what stress I have from work, uh, no matter who seems to hate me, happiness is my choice. It truly is my choice. And, and as a believer, I can tell you this, that I believe the greatest happiness is found only in God through Jesus Christ, through relationship with him. That is where true joy comes, only is through him. I think uh, we, we tend to get lost in the when and thens. You know what I'm talking about? The when, W-H-E-N, and thens. When this happens, fill in the blank, then I'll be happy. Are you there? Have you been there before? When my family treats me with respect, then I'll be happy. When I have my chance at my career, then I'll be happy. When I, if I can just get married, then I'll be happy. When I get a decent job, then I'll be happy. Happiness truly is not circumstantial, and it's not actually hiding from us. It's not something that we just have to look for all the time. We, we tend to approach this idea of happiness and joy as if it's, if, if it's tucked away in this place that we just can never get to, never find, and it... And and then once we do find it, we really don't know what to do with it. Uh, it. It just seems so elusive, so out there. I really believe personally, this is my personal opinion, that we choose, we make choices every day, even though we feel like sometimes that we don't have a choice. I really believe that every single decision you make is, is based on your desire to be happy. I agree with the French philosopher Blaise Pascal who said this. I love this. is all men seek happiness. This is without exception. 
whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The, the cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended in different ways. The will, so our, 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 our drive, our choices, never takes the least step but towards happiness. And, and this is the motive of every action of every man. That Blaise, Blaise Pascal goes on to say, even those who commit suicide, their goal and their choice is so that they would ultimately be happy. So from that framework that we're all making choices, the issue probably maybe for you is not that you're making choices. The issue for us very often is what, what, what we're actually choosing. And, and the goal of today is to help us understand, first of all, if you don't know this already, that you do have a choice. No matter what the circumstances, you have a choice to, to have joy or not. It's your choice. But, but secondly, possibly your problem is not that. Possibly the issue is that you don't know what and how to make those choices and what those look like. Uh, today we're looking at Philippians 1, all right? Philippians 1 is that part of the New, it's a letter actually in the New Testament. Um, that was, it's a collection of letters. Uh, the New Testament is, is this, is this gospel-centered uh, part of the Bible. The whole Bible is gospel-centered, so don't, don't misquote me on that one. Uh, but it, that drives us uh, to see uh, people's lives after they had experienced the risen Savior. And that's really what the New Testament is in, in our Bible. It's this experience post-Christ, post-Jesus. Uh, Jesus has died, he's risen again. And so uh, the, the letters, actually most of the New Testament is written by Paul, uh, who wrote letters encouraging people in this post-resurrection world. Uh, so uh, he wrote the book of Philippians uh, in, in that guise. All right, so, so Paul. Who's Paul? Paul is a, uh, is a servant of Jesus Christ, is uh, a missionary uh, and uh, we read about him all through the New Testament. But he served God. His whole life was dedicated to God. And he wrote a lot of his letters actually from prison. Uh, we know this to be true, uh, that so many of the letters that we read of his that are in the Bible are from prison. Uh, the book of Philippians uh, is one of those letters. And it is known as the happiest book in the Bible. Uh, the, the word rejoice or joy occurs at least 12 times in the whole letter. It's a very, it's a very happy book. And, and this is fascinating to me because the author, Paul, who's writing this letter, when he writes the book of Philippians, this letter to the Philippians, is probably in the worst situation you could ever imagine. Uh, he's uh, sitting uh, in prison uh, but not just any kind of prison. He's in a deep, dark pit kind of a prison. And uh, he is attached to a guard uh, 24 hours a day. So just imagine prison strike one. Uh, he's attached to uh, a, a Roman guard. And uh, this guard would have been rotated off of him every four hours. So you would have someone replaced, uh, connected to him every single moment of every single day. Now, to top this off, okay, uh, he's old. Uh, this is at the end of his ministry, and so he's aging. We know Paul, too, had what he called a thorn in the flesh. We know that Paul had something he dealt with anyway. Probably, we don't know what it was. It could have been anything. Um, uh, people and theologians have, have, have thought of, of over 40 different possibilities of what this thorn in uh, Paul's uh, side could be, including an actual thorn that's connected, you know, stuck into his side. But... 
But so he's suffering from some kind of a problem, whether it's a chronic pain or whatever it is, it's a thorn. Other theologians have said it's his, his wife. Uh, anyway, uh, th those theologians did not have good marriages. Anyway, yeah. So whatever the case, so he's, he's old, uh, he's in prison, he's chained to a person, which of course means that uh, every single aspect of his life uh, was done with someone. There was no privacy. Just imagine with me, all right, going to the bathroom, sleeping, bathing, uh, always connected, chained to somebody. But he's happy. He, he's not... He's not in this heap of self-pity and immobilizing fear. He's happy. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. That's why I think we need to spend some time in Philippians 1 to figure it out. You know, this kind of guy, the situation he's in. Now, this morning, uh, my life really is not an example of, of, of ultimate suffering. I, I, I don't have the kind of credibility that Paul does. Uh, I've never been in prison. I've visited prisons. Uh, but have never been, you know, a resident of prison. I've never, ever been chained to someone 24 hours a day. My life's been pretty, pretty straightforward. But even I can be sad. <laughs> even I can, 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 can sit in a, you know, a pool of self-pity and sadness. Uh, I have a choice. I have a choice to whether I can be happy or not. Regardless of the pain, regardless of the crises, regardless of the critics in your life, Regardless of the stress, the deadlines, happiness is a choice. Read with me Philippians 1 verse 10, and I hope it pops up here. There it is, fantastic. For I want you to understand what really matters, Paul says. So that you may, have, you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now, when Paul wrote this, we know in Philippians 1, earlier, before these verses, he says, I, whenever I think of you, I, I think of you with joy. I, I live in a state of joy thinking of you. So I'm writing to you happy, is basically is what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to understand what really matters. So principle number one, what Paul did to choose happiness was this. He chose to understand what really matters. So he saw the bigger picture. Paul lived in the bigger picture. You know people who actually can't see the forest for the trees? And I realize this illustration doesn't work well with people who live in a desert. I understand that. <laughs> What's a forest? Well, it's a, it's a place where trees are closer. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Paul was able to live in a state of seeing the forest and not see the tree in front of him at all times. That's, that's what he had developed. His discipline before the Lord was to be able to see the bigger picture. And he's inviting us to do the same. Look at verse 12, the next, there it is. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news, the bigger picture. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of, of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Now, you think about this, okay? He's been chained, we think, for about two years he was in this prison, and he's connected to these guards. There is really the potential that he was chained to about, you know, just over 4,000 guards over a span of two years. 
And every four-hour cycle, Paul is making sure they know that he's there because of Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, we see this character through with Paul earlier on in the book of Acts where he's, uh, he goes to prison. He starts singing. He's like my friend who, who laughed all the way through the haunted house. But he sings. You know, he sings hymns when he's chained. Here he is. He's chained by these soldiers, and uh, every one of them knows that he is there because of Jesus Christ. He, he, Paul was able to see the bigger picture. So Paul, Paul is not saying to us, this has been horrible. I tell you what, I can't even, you know, use the bathroom with these people. No, he's saying, no, no, no. Everyone has been chained to me. Everyone has been chained to me knows that it's about Jesus. You know, that's his take on life. Wow. And it's, he says it's been encouragement not just to the, the, the guards who, who are not believers, but it's also been encouragement for, for people who are believers. The bigger picture is that the gospel is being spread, whatever our situation, and that our behavior and the way we approach events is a witness and a testimony, not only to unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, but also to believers to encourage them to continue to keep going. Now, I think probably all of us know believers who, regardless of their pain and their, their, their situation, they continue to be positive. And we love being around positive people, right? And, and when I see someone being faithful when they're in a horrible situation, it encourages me to continue to be faithful to God because I see their situation I say, wow, mine is not nearly that bad. Surely I can keep going. It's, it's my friend who, who's, whose wife died uh, up in, in, in Rundu. And I sat with him after his wife died, and I said, I bet you really have had some anger against God, haven't you, that your wife died? And he looked at me and he says, why would I do that? This is not God's fault. I was really convicted. And we sat and laughed together about life. It, I was encouraged by his faithfulness to God. Paul chose to see the, his world from God's perspective. Philippians 4.8 uh, this is later on in his letter. He says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Tip one in choosing joy is to, is to focus on, to remember the bigger picture instead of the situation that we're in. I remember a especially dark time of my life several years ago where I just could not seem to, to get out of the, what I would call the, the funk of life. Just the, just the, ugh, the hurt of it all. And uh, I felt from the Lord I just needed to, to, to actually get off the seat. I, I was sitting in this very comfortable chair feeling sorry for myself. And, uh, you know, if you're going to feel sorry for yourself, you know, sit in a comfortable chair, you know, at least, at least be comfortable, you know, if you're going to self, self-pity, sit in a comfortable chair. Anyways, God said, get up. I actually got up. I went to a nursery uh, and I bought flowers and I planted flowers in this pot. And every single day I, uh, I would, I would take care of these flowers. It was a very intentional thing to focus on what was beautiful and admirable and to think of something outside of my situation. Those flowers really saved my life. Or was it that I chose to actually notice the flowers that saved my life? 
We can choose whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, think on these things. See the bigger picture. When I was in university, I studied chemistry, and I'll never forget, I had a guy that uh, uh, we were going into organic chemistry together for an exam. Organic chemistry, if you've ever had chemistry and organic chemistry specifically, it is the, it's the bear, uh, it is the, the snake of chemistry. It's a very difficult course, uh, organic chemistry, and it always, always, always caught me off guard. There was never a day that I was sitting in organic chemistry that it wasn't difficult for me. And I'll never forget going into an exam, uh, one of the last exams of our life with organic chemistry, and my friend and I were walking in, and uh, gosh, we were both stressed, uh, anxious. <laughs> and this is what he said to me as we were walking in. He said, hey, Brian, listen, no matter what happens today, man, pass or fail, pass or fail, I'm still saved. I'm a child of God. <laughs> I said, amen, brother. Yeah. So we sat down and took our organic chemistry, and uh, I can't even remember what my grade was, but I still remember that I'm saved. I'm saved, no matter what happens, pass or fail, I'm saved. See the bigger picture, right? We've got to focus on the bigger picture. The other tip is um, that I think helps us a lot as we choose joy is to actually choose God's perspective over people's perspective. You know, so basically you could, you could summarize it this way. Choose God over your critics. Choose God over your critics. Look what he says in Philippians 1, 15. Philippians 1, 15. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. But others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me. For they know I have been anointed uh, to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or are genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Uh, let's set the scene for us here. He's in prison. A lot of his, a lot of his co-laborers are ashamed that he's in prison. They've stopped visiting him. They don't spend time with him anymore. So he's, he's not only lost his privacy, his freedom, but he's also lost a lot of the, the, the body of Christ, friendships that he had. And then to, to make matters even worse, there's all these people who were his colleagues and his partners who are out there uh, trying their best to make his life even more miserable in prison. He says, people, listen, they're preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. So what he's, what he's laying out here is what we see uh, unfolding in our world today all the time. Uh, you, you are, in your situation, your, your life, your world, I am sure there are people who are jealous of you. Uh, we tend to in this world today is that whenever one gets a little bit high, then we criticize them, right? Uh, the more popular a person is, the more they get attacked. And, and this was true of Paul. Paul was a very popular, well-known uh, missionary, evangelist, and so a lot of the reason why people were sharing Christ was not because they loved Jesus, it was because they were jealous of Paul. And they wanted the same kind of popularity. So we don't know exactly what all these people were doing, but we do know that all of their behavior was making his life in prison even more miserable. But this is Paul's response. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. 
Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached. Either way, so I rejoice. Listen, I don't care what their motives are. I don't care what they think of me. I'm still going to be happy. My choice. My choice. He goes on in, in uh, chapter 1 in verse 28, and he says this, Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And another way of this word here, intimidate, is be fearless. In other words, don't be afraid of anything they would say. Don't let people determine your joy. I love his attitude. Uh, I'm married to an amazing woman who carries this attitude. Uh, I hear it probably almost every day, and, and so, at some point every day at our house, I'm going to hear this, this phrase. You with me? This is a Dana Boynton quote. It's okay. It's okay. And very often Dana will say it's okay when I'm telling her about some horrible thing that's coming or whatever. You know, someone else says, it's okay. It's okay. I go, what do you mean it's, it's not okay? <laughs> but it's Dana's way of dealing with overwhelming situations and, and things that are fearful to her is it's okay. Because ultimately it is okay. It really doesn't matter, the opinion or whatever. Ultimately, it's going to be God's opinion that's more important than anyone else's. It just doesn't matter, right? It's going to be okay. Look, I'm not suggesting, as I think I love what Megan said, that we lose empathy for people, that we stop caring for people and understanding where they're coming from. Romans 12 says this, Live at peace with all men as much as it depends on you. So, so work your way with people in such a way that you try to live at peace with them as much as possible. And, and not that we ignore their opinions, but we don't let them control uh, our emotions. And that's the issue, is do we allow them to have power over the way we live and, and how we exist? Uh, we are encouraged to invest not in the opinions of others, but to invest in the opinion of God. So choose God's opinion of you over your critics. Uh, this idea of investing into God's opinion of you is seen all through Scripture. Look at Galatians 6.8. Galatians 6.8 says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. So we invest in the one whose opinion really matters. John 15, 5 says this. It says, yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, the, the tip here is this. Uh, you know, stick beside God. You know, hang out with God. Remain with him. Don't, don't get pulled away from God to the opinions of others. Choose always to remain as close as possible with the one whose opinion matters most. And if you stay there, you'll be at peace. You'll have his perspective. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we heard it already from Megan. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The, the secret of joy is to stay as close to the one whose opinion matters most. Rejoice greatly in the Lord. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 4, Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. That's what I do. 
And I've learned that whatever my situation, whatever my circumstance, I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I know what is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We need to run to him and stay as close to him, to remain in him. Look, if you live for people's approval, you will never be happy. And the reason why you'll never be happy is because you're depending on a flawed system of opinion. We are flawed. We do not have the capacity to make another one happy to the extent that God can. People are flawed in this way. So if you're counting on people and their approval for your joy, your, your happiness will always be flawed. Always. It's possible... And hopefully you'll discover it sooner than later. But people will never be enough for you. Dan and I realize this in marriage. That we are only as good for each other as both of us are depending on God with, for everything. The only good I can ever give to Dana in marriage is if I am walking so closely to the Lord that I have God's perspective. And then, then somehow I can help with the joy and happiness that Dana needs in our marriage is as, my, as I depend fully on God. The same with Dana. Dana is only good to me as she is in her relationship with God. We, we cannot, cannot, cannot live and die based on the opinions of others. It's a, it's, it, 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 it's a, it's a trap. And, and in our world today, it just seems like the need for man's approval is, is higher than ever before. Whether it's we're posting on social media, whatever it is. You know, we're living and dying based on the number of likes and views that we're getting. I mean, that's crazy. And it never satisfies, right? You never get enough likes and approvals on your social media, right? And, and, and then, but we give our lives to what will never satisfy. We need to remain in Christ. Choose him. And then we need to trust God to work things out. That's tip number three. We need to trust God that ultimately it's going to work out. It may not be working out right now, but ultimately it's going to work. Philippians 1, 18 through 20. I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my what? This will lead to my deliverance. And he goes on in verse 20. He says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. He goes on to say in Romans 12, I love this, verse 12. He says, re, he says Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. In other words, Rejoice. Be joyful in the hope. Be joyful in what's coming. Possibly you don't experience the kind of joy you want now, but, but you can hope that it's coming and that you can anticipate it. I just want to say, um, just if you're wondering, I, I believe sometimes that joy is, is hard to choose and, and that sometimes it's ahead of you, not present. It takes time sometimes to get over the loss of family and friends 
there's so many of us sitting right now in the city who've, who've had loved ones die. And it takes time to, to get to a point where you just truly feel this, this consistent joy again. It takes time. So, sometimes joy is ahead of you. It's not now. But for whatever reason, we, we tend to judge emotions, whether they're good or bad. And uh, we get, can get stuck in this and deciding that if, if you don't have joy, that you're sinning. And that's not really the case. It, it could be that the, the, the emotion that you're feeling right now is there for a reason. And it's that emotions themselves are not bad, but that possibly your motives are bad, possibly your attitude is wrong, but the emotions that you're feeling at the time are not evil. We tend to vilify. We tend to very often place emotions in this negative category as though there's something wrong with them. Uh, in the Christian community, very often, we will even try to redefine what joy is, uh, to, to, to name it something that it's not, because we feel so guilty for feeling some other emotion, instead of facing that emotion and dealing with the reasons for those emotions. Look, there are times when we are angry, right? There are times when we are uh, sad, sorrowful. Are, is that sin? I guess it could be in certain circumstances. For the most part, it's not. It's just how you feel. Romans, Romans 9, this is what Paul said about his own emotions, the one who's helping us to choose joy. He says this in verse 2 of Romans 9. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. Why? He says, for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, um, I, I, are lost. He says, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if, if that would save them. This is what we would call godly sorrow. That, that Paul is in absolute grief for people who don't know Jesus. He's not happy about that. He is sad about it. And his sorrow is not sin. Very often because we vilify. In other words, we, we label certain emotions as evil. We don't ever face the emotions and understand why we have those emotions and deal with our emotions. If, if a certain emotion is evil, then I can't admit that I have it. And then I'm not going to get help to deal with that emotion, right? Because I'm embarrassed of it. Very often we don't get help because we've categorized what emotions are right and healthy and which ones are wrong. I believe the healthiest approach is to understand, no, I'm actually sad. Uh, we do this with people who've lost people. When they're sad and they're, they're crying, we judge them. We say, you don't have enough faith. Yeah. You know, if, if you really believed in the hope of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be sad now. No, no, Jesus cried with us. Matter of fact, we're instructed in Scripture to, to cry with those who cry, laugh with those who laugh, identify with our emotions. But just know, ultimately, that things are going to work out in the end. Choose that. So that's the process. This is what Jesus said, recorded in Matthew 26, before he was going to the cross. Matthew 26, verse 38. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We know he was stressed. Uh, he experienced, Jesus experienced a phenomenon of, of sweating blood. This is a, I've talked, we've talked about this often in our church, this idea of hematidrosis. It's, a, it's when the, the blood capillaries, as you say in Namibia, uh, burst and, uh, in your sweat glands and blood actually, that's a, that's a, a, a big degree of stress. 
Jesus never sinned, we're told in Scripture, right? So how could Jesus, who never sinned, be in such agonizing sorrow and grief? Well, that, probably because it wasn't sin. I want to invite us this morning not to just set aside whatever, you know, uh, non-joy emotions that you're having as though they were evil or wrong, but recognize them. And then take steps to deal with those emotions so that you can come to a place of truly finding healing and the kind of happiness that comes only in Christ. Uh, that's why people call uh, getting over grief, grief work. It's that dis- decision you're making to, to walk through a difficult time to go towards the joy that can only come in Christ. That's a process. It takes time. Hebrews 12 says this about, about us, an encouragement to us, and, and the attitude of Jesus. What he said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set where? Before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What, what he's saying here is, look, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame means he hated the shame of it. It was very embarrassing to Jesus to be on a cross. Jesus experienced um, suffering. He experienced embarrassment. But he did all of that because he knew that joy was coming in the presence of God. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God? The writer of Hebrew encourages us to think about that. Consider him, consider Christ, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider what Jesus did, so that you will not give up. Continue to hope, continue to place your confidence that it's going to work out in the end. One of the greatest illustrations of this was my daughter, my daughter Casey. Uh, Before she got married, she was so excited about getting married. Uh, But she was excited about getting married before our son-in-law, now Caleb, had asked her to marry her. All right. We would have conversations with our daughter about the cake, about where the wedding was going to be. And then often I would say, so has he asked you to marry you yet? No, but I'm pretty sure it's happening. It's coming. My daughter prepared as though it was coming, all right? She lived as though she was going to be married. And let me tell you, that was one of the most organized weddings I've ever been to in my entire life. When Caleb finally did say, will you marry me? Casey was ready. (laughs) She was ready. And I think we need to be like her in this regard. We need to anticipate that it's going to work out. We need to have this perspective of that it's coming. It's coming. Revelation 7 says this. There's going to be a multitude from every tribe, every, every language, standing before the, the Lamb and praising Him. That's what's coming. We're also told that there's going to be a day when all of our tears are going to be wiped away. No more tears. And we're going to be standing at peace in front of the one who saved us. And we're going to be standing side by side with nations, with tribes, with so many different types of people, worshiping and praising our Savior at peace. We're not going to be old anymore. (laughs) We're not going to have chronic pain anymore. We're not going to be living, uh, we're not going to be awoken, awaken at two in the morning, wondering if someone is breaking into your house. 
No more tears. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. We need to see the bigger picture. We need to trust God over the opinions of others. And we need to live our lives as though God is going to work things out because he is. And then then finally, this last choice for you. We need to be laser focused on the purpose, not the problem. We need to be laser focused on God's purpose for our lives. So certainly we know that there's a bigger picture. We know that something really matters more than what we're experiencing at the time. We also know that, that God's opinion of us is more important than the opinions of others. We also know that ultimately God's going to work out everything. But what we also should, should live with is that we've been designed now with a purpose. And we can either focus on the problem or focus on our purpose. Uh, this is what Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 21 and following to 25. He says this, for, t- for to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to, to go be with Christ, which, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I'll remain alive so I continue to help all of you grow and experience what? The joy of your faith. So I'm willing to stick around, guys, as Paul is saying. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is even better. Or one translation says, for me to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. But, said so I'm torn. I don't know what I really want more. Is to stay here or go there. I know a lot of people who would just rather be with Jesus right now. They're hurting so bad. Life is so hard for them. They just would like to be with God. But God continues to allow them to be here so that they can be a testimony of life for others. This is what Paul says. Look, you know, if you think about Paul where he is right now, he's in prison, chained to a guard, all all the things we've talked about. Suffering. Probably at the total end of his ministry, wondering if he had any impact. And he's saying, well, okay, you know, I would much rather choose heaven than this situation right now. But but I'm going to stick around because I have a purpose still until I die. I have a purpose. Live here, pain, ongoing crisis. This is our choice, right? You have a choice to, to continue to, to stick it out through this uh, apocalyptic event of this pandemic, right? You can keep, you know, sticking here. Uh, you have a choice. You have a choice in the matter. Living here, COVID's probably going to keep going. Living here, I'm probably going to continue to be insulted by people that I feel like should not insult me. Um, I'm probably going to be criticized in some way the rest of my life. By the way, I'm 58 years old. I continue to have critics. Um, uh, I was, you know, from the moment I was born, I was criticized. Uh, that's true for all of us, right? So criticism is going to keep happening. The stress of living. So honestly, heaven looks a lot more attractive, right, than, than this. But the secret to this life is living with purpose, not fixated on the problems that are here, but to fixate on this incredible purpose. And we have an amazing, extraordinary purpose that makes this life actually worth it. And actually, we can operate in joy regardless of our circumstances. Paul, in the worst possible place of his life, 
is still joyful. He's happy. Uh, Nick was born without arms or legs. Uh, I don't know if you know this guy, Nick uh, uh, Vujicic. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. Uh, Nick is a, is a remarkable man. And this really sounds like a really bad joke, but he's a man with no arms and no legs. All right. Have you ever told those jokes? You know, what's a man with no arms and no legs in a body of water? What do you call a man like that? Bob? Yeah. I think Nick, though, would like that joke. Yeah. What do you call a man with no arms and no legs hanging on the wall? Art? Yeah, it is terrible, terrible. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. So Nick, a man with no arms and no legs, uh, this is what he says about himself. He says, I'm truly blessed. I'm, and his, these are his words, he says, I am ridiculously happy. Wow. Many times as a child, he prayed for arms and legs. Uh, he would have settled for getting one arm or leg. God did not answer his prayer, but he gave him hope. This is what he says. This is what God actually finally revealed to him, his purpose. God used me to reach people in countless schools, churches, prisons, orphanages, hospitals, stadiums, and meeting halls. Even better, I've hugged thousands of people in face-to-face encounters that allow me to tell how very precious they are. God took my unusual body, that's what he says, and invested me with the ability to uplift hearts and encourage spirits. I'm officially disabled, that's what he says, but I am truly enabled because of my lack of limbs. My unique challenges have opened up unique opportunities to reach so many in need. And Nick is an illustration for us of one we would just never, none of us would want to be in that situation. Nick sees it as this incredible opportunity for him to actually share the love of Jesus Christ to a lost world. I just find that absolutely extraordinary. You can actually YouTube uh, Nick and listen to his speeches. It's really incredibly encouraging and motivating. I encourage you to do that. But closer to home, uh, someone who's inspired me this week. Uh, This last week we started um, YWAP and um, uh, Sibylla, was, was first for leading Bible studies. We kind of rotate who does Bible studies for YWAP. And uh, Sibylla spoke about her childhood, just shared testimony about her life as a child. Uh, it, I enjoyed so much watching Sibylla. This is Wednesday night and Friday. Uh, Sibylla allows God to use her past, uh, her story of, of anger, uh, she, she confessed to us on Friday night that when she was a child, she was always angry. The story of anger, rejection, uh, that God, she uses that story to lead people to Jesus. She leads people to God, the one who saved her, the one who healed her, the one who redeemed her, and the one who chose her. That's the testimony of Sibylla. Wednesday and Friday nights, uh, I watched youth be so encouraged by her vulnerability and honesty and sharing. Uh, God has truly used the problems of her life in a very purposeful way. Uh, I wanted uh, to go, uh, after uh, Sibylla spoke on Wednesday and Friday, I wanted to go up to her and say, you know, great job. But honestly, what I was feeling was, uh, God, great job in Sibylla. Well done, God, for what you've done in Sibylla's life. 
Sibylla was just being faithful to share the goodness of God in her life. Obedient to say, no, this is what God did for me. This testimony of greatness. The success you see, any success you see in Sibylla, is when she chooses to live out of that purpose. I'm so grateful I know her because I've heard her story many times. Uh, but it just encouraged me again, uh, Friday and Wednesday and Friday, to hear it again because it was a reminder again. Wow, man, God, you've done so much, and you can take any life, regardless of the past, and you and you can make it purposeful, intentional. Uh, Romans says this that you know all things work for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Uh, not all things are good, right? But God can use all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. We need to choose to live with purpose. There's true, there's true joy in life when we're used for a purpose. When we, when we recognize that our life has purpose, instead of just sitting around, as, as one, one guy said, as selfish little clots of, of sicknesses and, and complaints, Complaining that the world will not devote itself to making me happy. We can, we can sit in this world where we think the world owes us. And we'll, we'll just miss it over and over and over again. What is the bigger picture? What really matters? We're, we're invited, like Paul, to see the bigger picture. We're also invited to focus on God's opinion of us instead of the opinion of others. We need to ask ourselves this morning, where do the opinions of others control my life? This morning, as we consider this, this choice we have of choosing joy, where have I allowed the opinions of others to control the way I feel about myself? I need to really do serious business there. Where is my focus stuck in negativity? In other words, uh, stuck in this, this no-hope perspective of life, that there is no good future. We can get stuck there. Where is my focus stuck in negativity rather than in the hope of a completed story in Christ? Christ is going to bring my story ultimately to to be finalized with him in his presence. That's that's where I'm headed. I can count on that. What is my purpose in Christ? How can I use the situation I'm in right now to be intentional about bringing people to faith in Christ? Christ. Live with purpose. I can choose joy. No matter what my circumstances, I can choose joy. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the privilege we have of being called your children. Lord Jesus, we choose you. We choose the joy we can have only in you. Lord, thank you, God, that uh, you've given us that ability. You've given us that choice. And, Father, you are the supplier of, of, of everything that is great and wonderful, Father. Lord, as we walk and remain close to you, Father, we can have this joy. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. In your name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.